just repeating our memory verse, Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance. Why don't we say that together? For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And as we've talked about, this is the third week now. God wants much more for you and I than for us to just be blessed by Jesus or to admire Jesus. He wants for you and I progressively, day by day, to become more and more like Jesus so that we can be like the, he would be just the firstborn among many, many brothers and sisters. In week one, I encouraged you to live your one life for the one Lord. In week two, I encouraged you to begin asking God to give you one word from his word that will be your theme for this year. Today, I'm going to make a case for why each of us needs to consider setting aside one day each week to come together as a church family to love and to be loved. For years now, our family has been in the habit of setting aside a time weekly to just be together. At times, it's been an entire day. At other times, it's only a morning or an evening time together, typically on Saturdays, maybe Saturday morning, Saturday evening, or the entire day. Sometimes we go out, Sometimes we stay in, but we've found that this is essential for our children to be reminded that even though they're in many environments every week, they are first and foremost a bonding. We tell them that friends come and go, and in your life you've experienced this, but family is forever. We do not want their primary identity to be in a ball team, a popular band, or a peer group. I mean, we've all seen this. We've seen our children or we've seen friends' children start to drift away from home. And they find that all-important identity somewhere else. And one day the parents turn around and they don't even recognize the child. And the child certainly doesn't want to identify themselves with the parent. So that's important to us. Another identity that we want to be primary for them is that they are a member of the family of God. We want them to know that they're part of a body of believers that is global. And the truth is, we're going to want them to make friends in this family. We're going to want them to learn from members of this family. We're going to want them to work for and work with members of this family. We're going to want them to marry into this family. And we're going to want them, ultimately, to raise their children to be members of the same family global family. With that in mind, it's always been a habit for us on a weekly basis to fellowship with other believers. Now, sometimes we've been in non-traditional contexts. We've been overseas. You couldn't worship openly, but we would still meet in homes with other Christians every week so that our kids would remember that first and foremost, they are members of the family of God before they're members of society. You know, it's no surprise that we want to be intentional with who our children spend time with. I know a friend who was once removed from a birthday party. Her daddy dropped her off. There were some older guys just hanging around that he didn't know were going to be there. He didn't like the look of them. And guess what? She didn't get to stay at that birthday party. Or how about this? It is no safe bet that family or extended family will be an altogether wholesome environment either. 
You ever been to an extended family reunion, maybe for the first time, and you wondered if mom and dad were playing out their own version of Candid Camera? I mean, you look around at the people and you're like, really? Am I really related to these people? I mean, we don't have anything in common. I remember spending time with some of my cousins, and it's like, I mean, our, the way we lived was so different. Our values were so different. It was like we were from different planets. And we didn't spend a lot of time together. So we have an environment available in church where we can regularly mix with a predictable sampling of God's family. Shouldn't we at least consider making this a regular part of our week? I mean, it's not, we're not perfect. Nobody's here is perfect. But it's predictable. You know you're going to open the word of God together. You know you're going to pray to the same God together. You know you're going to share a lot of the same values. And outside these walls, there's no guarantees. At school, at work, in the community, people with very different values. So let's, wouldn't we be wise to at least consider making this a regular part of our week? So here's the reasons why I believe we need to set aside a day a week to be together. Number one, because we are encouraged by being together. We are encouraged by being together. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So that first sentence, you know, let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love in good works. In other words, who you're with influences what you do. Isn't that true? Who you're with influences what you do. There's a reason why Jesus describes his disciples as sheep and those who are not as goats. Sheep inspire one another to follow the shepherd. You ever watched them? The shepherd's out there guiding the sheep and one sheep recognizes that the shepherd's trying to get its attention and direct it in some way and then one sheep follows and then the sheep next to it notices and follows and then all the other sheep gradually begin following the shepherd because sheep inspire each other to follow the shepherd the goats are totally different goats don't gather they don't come together and goats certainly don't follow you know when we see one of our children hanging out with a goat we're immediately concerned. Why is that? And the reason why is a goat says, my life, my way. You've seen this? Have you experienced this? Maybe there's a season in your life where you were this person. My life, my way, my choices, my path, what I want comes first. And when we see our children hanging with somebody like that, you know, we want to step in, huh? We want to get involved. There won't be any sleepovers with that person. We're going to limit the time together because we know that who you're with influences what you do. Also, this passage says, let's not neglect our meeting together. And the point there is that irregular influence fades. Irregular influence fades. I mean, if we're with other sheep, what does a sheep say? I live because you gave your life, Jesus. I live because you gave your life. So your way, your way, not mine. 
and that irregular influence, if we're not together regularly with other sheep in the flock, then that influence fades. In the Old Testament, familiar story, when Moses spent time talking with God, do you remember what would happen to him? Literally, his face would glow. He'd come back from meeting with God. Can you imagine that, kids? Mom and Dad go come back from their prayer time. Mr. Brad's face is glowing. Mr. Lee's face is glowing. Would that kind of freak you out a little bit? Absolutely. In fact, it made him so uncomfortable that Moses would cover his face with a veil. But over time, that glow would fade until he went into the presence of the Lord again. So if we go long periods of time without being together, it's likely that the good influence is going to wear off. Right? If we go long periods of time without being good, that, that influence is going to fade. So irregular influence fades. And then the third point in this little chunk here is it says the day of his return is drawing near. And the point is that time is limited. Not only is your weekly time limited, and I know, I mean, you're busy. Your time is limited. And it needs to be invested well, but your earthly time is also limited. Writer Rose Tremaine once said, life is not a dress rehearsal. It's not. And we want it to be, right? Oh, I didn't do so good in that part. Can I have a redo? But that's not the way it works. Life is not a dress rehearsal. At some point, Jesus is going to lower the curtain on this age. So let's choose to be somewhere where we're encouraged to follow our good shepherd because he's good and he wants to lead you and he wants to lead me into green pastures beside still waters. He wants to restore our souls by being together. So firstly, we are encouraged when we're together. Secondly, we become better together. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, until I get there, this is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. So Paul understood the potential of the church for preparing people to impact their world. And therefore, he took the oversight of each church very seriously. The goal was that when Paul returned, each church would be healthy. He expressed fear in 2 Corinthians that when he returned, he would be embarrassed. By the state of the church. And that church at that time was rife with division caused by unsavory, power-hungry, manipulative men. And so he had Timothy, who had a special role in the churches that he had planted. His role was to tend the flock, you know, just make sure the sheep were okay. But as he was also responsible to notice when there was somebody who stood out with leadership ability, with faithfulness, to be appointed and trained to also be a shepherd with the health of the body in mind. Because at that time, I mean, there weren't churches on every corner. I mean, the church that Paul planted in a community, say, in Ephesus, say, uh, in the book of Titus, that was the church in that community. There were no other churches. So if these churches became unhealthy and fractured, then there was no hope for those communities. And even though there's so many churches in our community, that still holds true. Every single church matters. Because there are people who attend that church, who are on the fringes of that church. They're not going to go anywhere else. And for them, 
our church is their best hope. Just like it was back then. Without a good shepherd, the sheep would scatter and gradually return to goatish behavior. Huh? And that's what we see in our world. You ever, you work, you, do you work with some goats? Anybody know any goats? And if you are one, you don't have to admit it today. Maybe to go, we've got one. I, I'm goatish, right? I want to look out for me. I want to do my thing. You know, I, I get busy. I, I'm, on, I'm on the road and somebody's in my way, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm at the store and the, and the cashiers just, they're, they're not doing it quite as fast as I believe that they should. Huh? Or I'm at El Charo last night with my family and it's like, do I have to wait to eat? I mean, I'm here. I've got my money. It's time, you know. So we can all return to go to spirit. And that's why we need to be around other sheep who are going to encourage us to follow the shepherd. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So in the church, some are accountable to fo just follow and support. You know, just be good sheep in the flock. Just follow the shepherds, follow the leaders, and just support. Do your best to support and encourage. Others are accountable to lead. But the interesting thing is that anybody in a position of leadership in a church, I think they just got kind of plucked and appointed immediately upon entering the door. I mean, maybe they got a lot of this. I'm just kidding. But they had to be good followers first. There had to be a season. There was a stretch of time where they were faithful. They were consistent. They displayed that they had potential. So every good leader begins, and really to some extent, a large extent has to continue to be a good follower themselves. But sometimes you and I can fall into the trap that the church is here for us, right? Rather than us here for the church. And like the child who can manipulate parents, you ever seen this? The child who gets everything they want. There's no boundary that's non-negotiable. They can break all the rules and somehow it's okay. Ultimately, that child doesn't feel safe. They don't feel protected. There's no boundaries. There's, no, there's nothing that they bump up against that pushes back. They don't feel safe. If you and I can pressure church leaders into doing our bidding, we also should feel unsafe in two ways. Number one, if we, can, if we push so hard, if we make such a stink that they kind of give in, we may be obstructing what God is trying to accomplish. And if we're not present and participating and supporting, we might be obstructing God. And secondly, if you can kind of sway, if just you alone can sway the church, who else might be able to sway it? This is something that the Apostle Paul ran into. People with a darker agenda than yours might slip in, might start participating, might begin to try to change the direction of the church to their own agenda. So if we can change the church, we might obstruct God, or we might be in a church that's susceptible, that's vulnerable to being used by somebody else for a darker agenda. So you and I will all be much better together if each part faithfully plays their role out of reverence 
So if you've got church leaders that are having reverence for God, respect for God, fearing God, you're in a safe place. And if you have church members, members of the flock who are also showing reverence for God, reverence for Christ, reverence for leaders, not, it's not about obedience, it's not about people lording their position over, but it's about each of us serving each other in the way that God has called. And then we're much better together. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 20 and 21 says, Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. And so even though some have different roles and accountabilities, we are all called to be watchful. Each one of us. Divided or complacent, which is a temptation nowadays, we are vulnerable. But together, you and I can be vigilant. Just like in the story of Ezekiel, when they were rebuilding the wall, not only did each person know and play their individual role, but they were also both productive and vigilant. They were ready for action with their sword and their spear at their side at the ready. They were vigilant. You and I, we must guard against the infiltration of the enemy by being together, by studying the Word of God together. I mean, when you think about an enemy advancing, and you think about somebody on the watchtower, and it's their job, it's their shift, and they're asleep, or they've just decided to step out for a smoke, what's going to happen when the enemy comes and nobody is watchful, nobody is vigilant? He's going to slip in. He's going to infiltrate. So we've got to guard against this. Because he wants to corrupt us. He wants to spoil things. He wants to spoil what we enjoy together, what I've already enjoyed this morning. And if he can't do that, he certainly wants to render us dull. He wants to render us cold. And you know what? Just speaking to you individually and to myself as well, that's what's going to happen to an unused tool in the corner of a tool shed. Right? Dull. Cold. It's good only for taking up space. Don't we hate that? You got something stuck in the garage, in the attic. You don't even know what, what it's there for. You don't remember when you bought it. You don't know why you still have it. It's just taking up space. Isn't that frustrating? How many of y'all are good at cleaning stuff out? How many of y'all wish you were good at cleaning stuff out? <laughs> okay, everybody put their hands up. And you know what? None of us wants this on our tombstone. Here lies David. He was known mostly for taking up space. <laughs> There's his chair, sat there a lot. There's his place at the dinner table. There's his rocking chair, which that is mine. That is mine. There's his office. There's his cubicle. There's his car. There's his parking space. There's his favorite table at the restaurant. He didn't really say much. He didn't really do much. You know, it's just kind of like a bump on a log. Here lies David. Known for taking up space. And now that his space is vacant, I guess we'll just find whoever to fill his space. <laughs> Didn't really make much of a difference, but that's what he was known for, was just taking up space. But if you and I will get out of the tool shed, into the workshop, so as to make ourselves available to a certain Jewish carpenter, then we're more likely to have many special times 
usefulness ahead. Isn't that what we want to be? Useful, well-worn tools in the hands of craftsmen to do beautiful work. Ever seen the work of a craftsman? They put their soul into it. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful. It's their gift, it's their contribution. And that's what God wants for you and for me. And if we're choosing to set aside that time to be together, we're going to be better together. And then thirdly, we have the example of the early church. Acts 2.42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Now, we've talked about this before. The early church, they were devoted to one another because they needed each other. Huh? They were in the minority. Things were not safe in any time they could be reported on by other connections and be in a lot of trouble. Their lives could be in danger. But I just thought this week as I was thinking about this passage, they could have caused the discomfort to go away at any moment. How could they have done that? Just by blending in. Oh, we don't believe in Jesus. Don't misunderstand. They could have just gone back to talking like everyone else, believing like everyone else, living like everybody else. Just blend right back in. No need to stand out. No need to make waves. I mean, we can believe in our hearts, but let's make choices that give no evidence. Let's just blend right in. But let's not give in to that temptation. And one uncomplicated way that you and I can stand out is by making gathering with the body a priority on our calendars. Stands out when you're not sleeping in on Sunday morning, doesn't it? I mean, I'm out on the road, what was I out? About 7 o'clock, going to pick up my friend Rebecca. I didn't have to fight traffic with anybody. <laughs> in fact, I was frustrated. I'm waiting on the light at Madison. It's like, there's nobody on the road. Just turn green. <laughs> but you can stand out. Many times I've heard people say something to the effect of, I just feel better when I go to church. You know, I just feel better when I go to church. And that got me to thinking why people who are not even super spiritual, they have this feeling after attending a church service. One of the reasons we all flock to the beach, who, who loves the beach? Not. One of the reasons we flock to the beach during temperate seasons is that we feel different for having been there. You know, we'll, we'll schedule a year in advance. We'll book that Place. We'll go to great lengths. We'll spend copious amounts of cash to book that spot close to the beach. And why do we do that? Because we're going to feel different having been there. Once you're able to block out the high prices, and man, they're high. Once you lay down that $22 and say, this better be the best grilled cheese sandwich I've ever eaten, <laughs> you know you're at the beach. And the noisy crowd, you're left with something still very much unspoiled, pure. You know, the sand, the wind, the waves, the sun, and the view. They touch you at a soul level. That's why we love to run to the beach. Some of your and my best memories with our kids are at the beach. It's because it's still very unspoiled <coughs> and pure. And it is similar with church. You want to save a little money? Now, I'm not saying don't go to the beach. But, I mean, even if you're doing well, how many times are you going to go to the beach a year? Maybe twice. Most of us once. 
But it's similar with church, minus the skimpy outfits, and I'm grateful for that, you guys. <laughs> You're able to block out the pressures in the busyness of life. You got pressure in your life? Financial pressure, relational pressure, maybe some pressure from health, finances, career. You got pressure, I got pressure. We want to get away from that pressure. Block out the busyness of life. Are you busy? Who's busy? Got lots going on. Not a lot of busy people. I'm have to change that. No. All right. <laughs> Who's busy? All right, hands up. Of course. Lots of responsibilities to take care of. But if we want to block out the busyness and the pressures of life, we can come to church. You're able to connect with caring people. As many of you, we've all experienced this morning, connect with caring people in a way that's unspoiled. It's pure. There's no agendas here. There's no cashiers. There's no clients. There's no bosses or managers. There's, no, there's nobody trying to exact a transaction from you. It's unspoiled. It's pure. It's just friends. Friends who love being together. Friends who laugh. Friends who pick at each other. They don't want anything from you. They just love you. They enjoy being with you. Where else do you get that? Don't you get tired of a transactional society where every time somebody calls on the phone, they're not checking on you. They want to check from you. Isn't that upsetting? It's not the way that it could be. And it ain't the way that it is here the church. And you will leave feeling different because it touches you at a soul level. Not only that, but at least for the rest of the day, you're going to find yourself calmer. You're going to find yourself kinder. And you're going to find yourself with a stronger sense of peace for having invested your time in this way. So the bottom line today is to give Sundays, set aside Sundays to love and to be loved. Come ready to give, huh? Bring your heart. Be ready to love. There's people that are going to be ready to be loved. But also, come ready to receive. Open your heart. Allow people to hug you. Allow people to speak to you. Allow people to do for you what only members of the body of Christ can truly do it in an unspoiled and pure way. Let them love you. Now, I know the answer to this first question, but the second one you're going to think about. Do you love your family? Yes? Right? Let's go have someone talk about your mama. Huh? Talk about your daddy. Talk about your, uh, your uncle, your cousin. You love your family. But are they loving? Are they loving? And not just nuclear family, but extended family. How about that family reunion? And sadly, your answer is going to be some of them. Some of the time. I love them and they love me, but are they loving? Actively loving toward you? Some of them, some of the time. But at church, it's a rare opportunity. We can unite around the word of God. We can pray together. We can encourage each other. In a way that's unspoiled and pure. There's no agendas. Just friends. So let's get together. huh? 
Let's encourage each other. Let's become better together. And let's learn from the example of the early church who needed each other just to make it through one more day. Pray with me. God, we're so grateful for your church and what it means to us and how each of, we mean so much to each other, God. There are few places that we can go where we're accepted unconditionally or loved lavishly and where we can really be understood. And this is one of those places, God. So I pray that as we begin this new year, that we would be willing to set aside just one day, and not even a full day, just a couple hours, but put it as a priority on our calendars, to set aside one day, to be together, to encourage each other, to be better together, and to become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray.